This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast, the Terry Francis episode. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and I am your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. I bring you this message of hope from Pensacola, Florida. This is report number 37, dated December 17th in the year of our Lord, 2019. I bid God's grace and peace to all my fellow sojourners here in this earthly plane. I remain sound in body, alert in mind, and energized in spirit. In this special two-part episode, I'll be speaking with Terry Francis, who preaches for the Chelsea Church of Christ in the Birmingham, Alabama area. Terry co-hosts the popular Do the Work podcast with his colleague Philip Martin. I was able to sit down with Terry recently. Here is some of what we talked about. Terry's been preaching about the role non-traditional families play in the local church. Every church craves more young families with children, but the church is here to serve, and often it is single-parent families that need service the most. Terry's been reading The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Human societies feature what Gladwell calls connectors, mavens, and influencers, people who bring people together, people with needful information, and people who persuade. Churches have a need for all of the above. Which one are you? Are you ready? Here we go. This is what Terry has been preaching. So uh, over the course of 2019, I have three series, one Sunday a month. One of those is on prayer. One of those is on the home. One of those is on the cross. And uh, so the most recent sermon was in the series on the home, and I dealt with non-traditional homes. Um, That's an aspect of the home I think I neglected, and I think most places do neglect in their preaching. We tend to focus biblically on that traditional aspect of the home of a father and a, a mother and the children. And we kind of just overlook the single parent or we overlook the blended family and the different kind of um, things that they face, maybe stumbling blocks and how does God approach them. So in that sermon, used the story of Ruth as kind of a foundation of a non-traditional home because for the time period that that was written, that was a very non-traditional home. There's no man present. So uh, we noticed some things from there about depending on God and and those kind of things, and then apply that to those two situations. Um, and one of the things I did in the blended family, because I think it's hard to understand that, that's such a unique aspect of the home, is I, I remember um, interviewing a couple of different step parents in the process, and I used some of those quotes about um, how does the blended family work and what are the challenges that you've had and made some spiritual applications to those. So uh, that was that was last Sunday. Um, interesting enough about the need to preach on that. I think uh, one of the stats I use is in the 1960s, I think almost three-fourths of all homes or maybe even higher was traditional. I don't remember the exact number. Um, but I do remember this number that uh, now 42% of the homes are traditional and 50% are what would be classified as non-traditional. So when you think about that, that just this huge gap and change over time. Uh, there's no way that's not affecting the churches we're a part of. And whether that's immediately or whether that's the children of parents, uh, maybe adult children that are in those situations, uh, and we equip the parents that are Christians to to be able to spiritually guide their children through those processes regardless. And, and the single parent issue is a big one. I think that makes up over 30% of homes today. Um, how do we encourage our single parent homes? Mm-hmm. How do we encourage single mothers or single fathers? 
How do we help them navigate that and be good parents? So that's what we focused on uh, most recently in in my sermon. Do you, do you think there's a lot of guilt involved with uh, either even deliberately inflicted and certainly accidentally inflicted on single parents in the church? Uh, I think certainly indirectly inflicted on single parents in the church. I think there's a stigma that we've attached to them. Anytime you see a single parent come in, I think there's this eye of, okay, what did you do? Um, and single parent could be a couple of different ways, right? It could be that somebody was never married. Um, it could be a situation where they are divorced. And in mm-hmm. both of those cases, I think there is a tendency on our part to maybe attach a stigma to that. And I think we're not aware of that. I, I don't think, in other words, it's not conscious. It's not intentional. Um, and I think one of the reasons to talk about it is to bring that to the forefront and to say, here's what matters in those situations. And here's why we shouldn't treat those in a negative way. Um, and so that's one of the reasons to speak on that. And it was really well received. I think that's one of the interesting things is I had a lot of comments about, hey, I'm not, we've not dealt with that. I'm, thank you for dealing with that and talking about that in a way that's easy to understand. Um, but yeah, I think there, I think we, we tend to do that. And again, I think it's not because we're being cruel. Right. I think we can't avoid it, if that makes sense. And it, it strikes me that sometimes we almost invent reasons to isolate ourselves. Yes. We, especially when you're in a new group, you know, you come in, you have children, you don't have a husband, you don't have a wife, whichever. And, and all of a sudden you're already an outsider. Right. And, and now, you know, how are they looking at me? And everything seems like a slight mm-hmm. everything's taken you know blown out of proportion and all of a sudden you're you're sitting on the back row five minutes late sunday morning you're not coming back sunday night or wednesday night or whatever mm-hmm. uh, how can we bridge that gap to a to a new a new invitee as it were yeah so one of the things you gotta understand about single parents i think in my discussion with single parents is they bring regardless of their background they bring the best way to describe it is a chip on their shoulder into that equation mm-hmm. Um, even if a place does not look down upon that person, they still feel like they are. So we have to go a little bit beyond. When I was performing back years ago, I remember when I was performing on stage, and one of the things I learned was um, if I wanted to do something that was funny and I was in a group of, let's say, an audience of 10 people, I had to really exaggerate that and go beyond what would be normal. I used to tell people when they asked me about that, one of the things about performing is you couldn't be afraid if it's a funny thing to act like a fool. Um, and over-exaggerate that in order to, to, to be delivered the right way. Well, I think there's a sense of that that you could apply to the single parent. We almost have to over-exaggerate our compassion to them. We have to, not fake, not phony, but we have to go beyond what we normally would. We have to be more welcoming. Um, it may be that a single mom comes in with two kids, and those two kids, because of whatever the background is, for instance, may have a lot going on. Maybe they're a discipline issue. Our first thing is to go maybe to that mom and say, hey, get your kids under control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard to do. She's already got a chip on her shoulder. She probably doesn't have family there. Now she feels unwelcome because her kids are unruly. And so maybe what we should do instead of that is uh, maybe we go sit with her and her kids. And maybe we offer uh, a more calm, gentle, guiding hand along the way. Maybe we befriend her. Maybe we become the pseudo-grandparents to those kids at church. Mm-hmm. Um, that we, we try to develop these connections. And one of the things I focused on in my work, really in the last probably three to four years, even more so than before, is the idea of relationships. So many things that we have 
conflict with, could be a, could be solved if we were just in better relationships. So I think this is one of those areas. How do you handle the single parent? You form a bond with that single parent that says, I am here to be your friend. I'm here to help you. I love you. Rather than this kind of uh, aloofness that we often have where we don't know what to say and we don't know how to ask the questions. One of the things I've learned is those questions aren't really that important. Like mm-hmm. why that parent is single at that moment is not as important as making sure that parent understands that you love them and that you want to help them and you want to be a source, a resource for them and their family rather than an adversary. Um, Not that we intentionally are an adversary, but when we become judgmental and critical, why can't she keep her kids under control? Why can't she do this? Why aren't they at church more often? Um, You know, for instance, why are they at church more often? Hey, maybe it may be she's working, the kids are home by themselves, Mm -hmm. What if you go pick the kids up? I've been in situations where a single mom had to work late. She needed us to pick up the kids. What a great thing to do that she even felt comfortable enough to ask us to do that. So um, I think that's what you have to do. And you have to go beyond your normal kind of comfort zone to try to welcome her. By the way, that really applies to any new person that walks into your building, not just Mm -hmm. the single parent, to go beyond what you normally would go beyond. Again, not in a phony way. Right but in a extending yourself kind of way. Um, you think about just normal people that just walk in, single parent or not, one of the most successful things that we've had, I think, in the area of trying to reach them, whether it's an evangelistic opportunity or maybe just their Christians moving to the area, is you know within the first visit or two, we want to take them to dinner with us or into our home, or if we have a small group, we invite them to our small group that day. We want to get them in some kind of environment outside of an auditorium or a Bible classroom right. at the church building where they develop this connection. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, um, especially non-Christians that come in, you become very successful at building a relationship, which therefore cultivates the opportunity to have the Bible study. And by the time you get to that point, there's this connection and they want to be your friend and you have more credibility. You can be a greater influencer mm-hmm. uh, in that area. So, but that applies to the single parent as well. Sure. If you just over exaggerate and you go beyond what you normally would go. You know, the, the spirit blows what, where it wills. Yeah, you know, as yep. it were. I've just been reading in John chapter three. You never know who's going to walk through the door. Sure. And and we have this tendency to shop for for participants in the gospel. Right. You know, we want we want the young families. That's what we need more young families. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes you get what you get. Yeah. You know, and that's not a bad thing. Well, not sometimes. You always get what you get. <laughs> well, and, we, and we do the best we can with, yeah. with what we have. Instead of wishing that this person were in a different situation, mm-hmm. let's minister to them where they are. Right. And and help them where they are. Yeah. In my, in my close, I guess it's getting close to 22 years of work now. I've been in like the most different locations you could be in. I started off in a pretty rural place. Um, small town, America, went to uh, a church within the city limits of Nashville, so more urban, Uh, moved from there to Memphis, Tennessee, which is more urban and way more diverse than the side of Nashville that I was on. Uh, And now I'm back in a more rural area, truthfully, on the outside of Birmingham. But, you know, when you talk about you get what you get, I mean, when you're in Memphis, Tennessee, and we would have 25 to 30 visitors a week, a lot of them are just walking off the street, um, you, the people that walk in, you have no control of what they are, but they all need the gospel. Right. So it may be that we have somebody who walks in who's a pilot with FedEx who's really well off. They walk in in a suit, uh, and they come in, and uh, you need to offer that person the gospel. Or it may be that here's a person that saw a sign for VBS that's a Muslim or the past is a Muslim, single parent with a young child, uh, a lot of benevolent issues, 
but you need to offer her the same gospel. Um, oddly enough, in those two stories, those are real events. Oddly enough, in those two stories, the FedEx pilot did not stick around, but the the Muslim was converted and is still faithful to this day. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of churches that would not have focused on both the same way because we have this stereotype we want to go after. We want to go after the traditional homes. We want to go after the traditional homes that have the money. Uh, that's you know how we we approach that. And so the non-traditional home needs a place, and we we need to, as a whole, the church needs to be a place of restoration for people from all backgrounds. And, you know, Jesus spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, and he was criticized for that. Um, I wonder sometimes if we've not gotten away from that behavior of Jesus. Uh, Not that we, you know, are not spending time with him, but we still want to look at the elite, the clean person, uh, especially with evangelism. Somebody told me one time that evangelism is messy. Mm -hmm. That's a great description of evangelism. Um, It's a beautiful thing, but it brings messes with it. And I also heard another person said, what Christians do is we run to the messes. And I love that, that um, rather than stand away from the single parent home, we should run to the single parent home. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's a place you find restoration and hope and healing. And and that's the message I think we need to have is run to those messes, what we classify as messes. Well, it's a different version of James chapter two, right? Correct. Where, where yeah. we have this, this inherent bias toward sure. people who... Maybe we aren't in position to help them very much. Correct. Maybe not as much is going to be asked of us. If, mm-hmm. if these people, they're going to be helping us instead of us helping them versus someone who is in desperate need of help. Yeah. Someone who doesn't appear on the service to offer very much right. to us. But they're the ones who are sincere. They're the ones who, who are genuinely looking for the yeah. truth. And we, we reach out to them and, and we glorify God in the things that we're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what Terry has been reading. I am reading The Tipping Point, uh, How Little Things Can Make a Big Difference by Malcolm Gladwell. For those not familiar with Malcolm Gladwell, uh, he's written several other books. Uh, One that comes to mind is David and Goliath. He's also a podcaster. Um, Gladwell's podcast that I listen to is called Revisionist History, where he looks at kind of weird things in history um, and sometimes pulls back the curtain. One of the ones that I, that I like the most is how that the participants in the Boston Tea Party were more than just revolutionists. They actually financially gained by selling black market tea by getting rid of the British tea. And he kind of pulls back that curtain that you're mm-hmm. not taught in grade school. Right. Uh, Gladwell, by the way, just full disclosure, is an atheist, which makes this a little interesting. This is not a religious book. Um, he's more of a historian and a journalist, and he does some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, this book was given to me by my wife before I went to a gospel meeting recently. And so I've read probably about 90 pages into it. The tipping point is about, he takes a couple of things. Revolutionary War is one of them. Uh, specifically, Paul Revere is an example. Um, another one is, uh, remember the Hush Puppy shoes that were mm-hmm. like really popular a long time ago? That company was on the brink of extinction. And then all of a sudden, they popped back up in New York in a fashion show and then all of a sudden, like, everybody wanted them again. And they actually became more successful their second time around. Mm. Uh, now, I don't know where they're at now. I haven't seen many hush puppies lately. I'm sure they're out there. But uh, so he talks about, well, the sex I'm talking about now is there's three types of people. Uh, there are connectors. And with the illustration he uses of connector, that is a famous illustration, it's Kevin Bacon. Mm. When you think about oh, yes. six degrees of Kevin Bacon mm-hmm. and how Kevin Bacon is a connector and... I think the average is, is the interesting thing, that almost anybody can be connected to Kevin Bacon, I think, in, in less than four steps, actually. Um, 
So uh, there are connectors. There are mavens, and mavens are people who have a tremendous amount of knowledge. And then there are influencers or salesmen. And the illustrations he uses modern day of the maven and the influencer are not people that are readily known like Kevin Bacon, um, which is why their name doesn't stick out to me. But Paul Revere, for instance, was both a connector because he rode through and he connected all the town's militias to say, hey, tomorrow the British are prepared to march. Um, but he was also a maven because at the same time, there was another man that went through was not as successful as Paul Revere. And one of the reasons why he was not is he did not have the connections and the knowledge that Paul Revere did. So Paul Revere, when he rode through, not only had the connections because of other things he'd been involved in and people knew who Paul Revere was, but he had the knowledge in each town of here's the head of the militia. And he would go to that house and say to that person, the British are coming. So it's a different picture than I was taught in elementary school of him wildly running through the streets of each town saying the British are coming with a lantern flying. Uh, there was actually a process to that. And so you have the connectors, the mavens, and then the influencers. And what he's talking about is that everything has a tipping point. And so for the hush puppies, it was the tipping point was actually the second time through. And what happened was you had connectors who were the first people who wore them. The mavens were the people in the fashion industry who saw them and knew about it. But the influencers became the actual Today, it would be social media influencers mm -hmm. who would post on their Instagram and so forth. And then it becomes this wild outbreak of marketing. Um, it's a, it's an entertaining book to look at from those aspects. Um, I've said a lot on, on our podcast before and dealt with this in churches. And you and I have talked about this a little bit. Um, marketing's kind of like a thing I like. And so this fits into that a little bit. How do you, how do you um, tip the scales into what is just normal operation to now this wild kind of venture of success. Um, not made all the applications to church yet because mm -hmm. I'm not finished the book. I do think, though, that when every church, I think these three people are needed. Mm -hmm. uh, now, a maven is not a know-it-all. They're not an arrogant sense of knowledge. Um, and mavens are actually people who have knowledge who want to improve your life. That's the description of the maven that he gives. So, for instance, one of the... Um, if I was to be classified as a maven in one area, it's probably food. Like if I know of a great place to eat and let's say you're going to Memphis, I'm going to tell you to eat central barbecue ribs and get Gibson donuts uh, because I'm really convinced that your life will be improved by eating at those two places. And if anybody's from Memphis listening, they agree with me <laughs> on that. Um, so I tell you that not to show off my knowledge, but to improve your life. Right. right. So within the church, we need connectors. We need people that connect, build relationships. Mm -hmm. There's also have to be we have to, have to be mavens in the sense that um, we have this knowledge, and I can give you something. Um, now that I think what's interesting, what I've kind of seen so far is the connectors and the mavens aren't always the salesmen. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things in evangelism, maybe where we struggle, is we think everybody has to fill all three roles. Right. Um, and where I'm at now is, you know, you're in my job is really in a lot of ways we're influencers. We're that final guy that comes in. Right. It's kind of the salesman. And, and we can kind of go and say, hey, let me, let me show you how to invest your life in a way that saves your soul. Uh, but we need a lot of times connectors and mavens mm -hmm. who will say to their friends, hey, I know how to make your life better. Will you talk to Hal? Will you talk to Terry? It's kind of mm -hmm. like that, hey, I got a guy kind of thing, right. right? We're the guy, but we need those connectors and mavens that have the willingness to go, hey, I got a guy. 
Um, and so that's so far is kind of the application I've had at that point. Well, let me play with that a little bit. Uh-huh. If, if I'm thinking of influencers in the context of the New Testament church, the first mm-hmm. name that pops up is Paul. Uh, I would probably say Barnabas before Paul, because if it's not for Barnabas, there's probably not a Paul. Right. Uh, but people but yes. who are, who I, I'm going to make, you know, get out there and get the word sure. out. Sure. But, you know, somebody like Andrew, for instance, mm-hmm. who has very little information in the in the text. But what we do know is how he connects with people. Sure. He, he connects with his brother, Peter. He connects right. with the, the, the Grecian Christian uh, the Grecian right. followers of Jesus. He connects with the, even the boy with his with his lunch, yep. who, who has some food that maybe the Lord's going to be able to do something with. Yep. He's, he's always seen in a context of bringing somebody to Philip's Jesus. Philip's another one. Philip went and found Nathaniel and then told right. him about Jesus. Uh, it was Jesus that actually influenced Nathaniel, but it was Philip who made the connection right. from Jesus to Nathaniel. Another one similar. And, and the first uh, maven that came to my mind was Luke. Uh-huh. You know, someone who uh, does not have a firsthand, as far as we know anyway, mm-hmm. role in the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ. But he has uh, resources at his disposal. He has connections. Uh, he has intellect. And he's able to pool the stories together. And knowledge. Right, yeah. exactly. The knowledge that he gets from from Paul, I'm sure, and from mm-hmm. others as well, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course, and and doing this tremendous work that lasts right. just as long as Paul's work lasted, just as long as, as uh, anybody else's work lasted. Sure, absolutely. And so what I think the application is for us today is we need those different roles. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things is in the church— we kind of look down on you if you're not an influencer. Right. Like if you're not the salesman influencer type that can get up and preach a lesson or teach a Bible class or do personal evangelism as far as the actual sitting down at the table and studying, we somewhat kind of look down upon you as not as important. But we need those connectors and mavens too. And even if you're just a connector that connects people in the community to somebody else within your congregation or to the congregation mm-hmm. as simple as saying, why don't you know, why don't you come and worship with us? Um, that there's a very important role there that we kind of look down upon. That is just as much a part of evangelism as the influencer that kind of, kind of gives the final sales pitch. Hey, why don't you obey? Um, I just think we don't not look down upon that. Maybe those other roles as much as well, it's we a different do. skill set, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sure. It you is. know, um, an influencer may be good at rhetoric or presentation or packaging, that sort right. of thing. But the, uh, the, the connector, it has people skills, right? You know, not that they're exclusive with one another, but, but being able to talk to somebody face to face and say, yeah. Hey, what's going on with your life? Even, I think connectors even don't have people skills sometimes. Let me say it this way. Uh, the person I cannot, the one type of person I cannot really identify with is the introvert. There's no part of me that is introverted, okay? <laughs> really? Not a single part. My wife is an introvert, but she's an outgoing introvert. I can handle that. But the introvert that really doesn't like being around people, like I just cannot fathom that, okay? Because right. I get my energy off of other people. My and, and But... So who's best at attracting or connecting to the introvert? It's other introverts. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we look down upon the other introverts when they have a really special place in our work by being a connector. Because that person can kind of sit back and they can kind of drift back and and kind of blend in. But they're going to be the one that connects to the other person that blends in. Mm-hmm. And even if it's commiserating about their being introverts, that forms a connection that then can go further. Now, I think there is a sense how where we all should be mavens. Right. In the sense that if a maven is the person has the knowledge of something that makes your life better. If I'm a disciple, I have the knowledge that will make your life better. 
And in that sense, I think we're all mavens. I think that's the core of these three things that pulls us all together. I think, though, some of us are connectors and some of us are influencers. But we all have this knowledge that Jesus is what we need in order to make life better. He fixes us. He fixes our problems. He gives us victory over sin. He, he teaches us so much that, that, in my understanding, I think we're all mavens or should be strive to be mavens. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. If you profited from your time here, I have a few requests of you. Please pray for me and for this work. We need more citizens of heaven, and our prayer is that we be part of achieving this objective. Please subscribe to this podcast, and give a good rating on iTunes and other sites that allow you to do such things, and spread the word to your friends. Please follow my work through my website, www.halhammons.com. There you will find links to articles, videos, and books of mine. Seek me out on social media. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and especially Facebook. Look for me and for my pages, The Final Word, The Preacher, 20 Pages a Week, and Citizen of Heaven. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, The Citizen of Heaven, signing off.